podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. It's a joy to be here with you today, uh, a little bit earlier than normal uh, when we're recording this. I have got with me uh, most Stuart, Andy Heaton and Dan Austin. And when I thought this show through, I thought we were going to talk about the FA Cup game against Devon and the FA Cup in general. I thought to myself we were going to talk uh, about uh, Philip Coutinho, but we would start with Burnley. However, the intensity of the Coutinho chat, as made clear by Melissa Reddy and Miguel Delaney across the course of these last couple of days, it means that we're going to start off talking about Philip Coutinho and Andy May. For me, what changes between August and now, and, and, and what changes when I try to sort of have some empathy and imagine being different people in the situation? The first thing I think is there'll be a lot of talk about what professional footballers do or don't do and what they do or don't understand. But I think if I'm a teammate of Coutinho, I feel a bit differently about what's going on now in January when we're slap bang in the middle of this campaign to how I would feel about it in August when you can understand the very, very start. And that might be wrong, it might be false, but that'd be my impression of it. You know what, I don't, I don't particularly have a problem with the, with the player. Um, whether whether the injury let's give him the benefit of the doubt and say there, there there is a little niggle there, and he's not fit enough. I mean, the manager spoke today about him being f- fit for City. We'll see. But even the other side of it, let's just presume that you know he's he's he's, he's swinging the lead a little bit. Maybe that I get a sense that there's a lot more there's a lot more knowledge of the situation within the camp at Anfield and within the this teammates and the squad. I mean, you've only got to look at... This won't have come as a surprise. This, this looks to me like Liverpool have prepared for this and they're managing the situation quite well. I mean, you've only got to look at Oxlade-Chamberlain's Oxley interview yeah, the other the other day when he died, uh, last week when he dived in, when they were trying to push him a little bit. And also, it keeps keeps playing out the final line. Like, Miguel Should the player just be in the firing line though a bit here? Mm. I mean, this is we are enacting the goat territory as far as I'm concerned. I understand an August push, I understand a shift for an August move, but to do that, this is the Merseyside derby we're talking about on Friday. There's a big game up against Manchester City coming. We've just all scrapped for each other like no one's business through December. Shouldn't the player actually just yeah, be in the firing line now? But then he could, he could, but then he could also be a distraction. And again, we're presuming that, that he is fit to play when there is a, a, a chance that he actually <laughs> genuinely is not fit to play. And he can be a distraction, and Jürgen, Jürgen's whole thing about unity and, and one thing and the other. And also, you've got you've got to look at it from the manager's point of view. I think the club, I know the appetite for news and gossip and updates is huge. I think Liverpool have played this very well. I think by saying nothing and keep, keeping the powder dry, they're letting Barcelona rack the goat. Um, absolutely none of this, unequivocally, and you know as much as I don't stay with say with surety that none of this that's in the in the public domain at the minute none of it has come from Liverpool so maybe by by keeping the gob shut and going look Phil we're waiting on them we're waiting on them we're waiting on them who's the bad guy here well to be honest with you I think there's more than one bad guy in this particular situation um, I'm inclined to agree with Neil regarding the timing I mean We've seen this kind of thing play out before. The players, they're not exactly going to be surprised. They would have known that he still wants to leave. But the difference is, like you say, not only have we been through the battles, but is he really going to gain anything by moving in January compared to moving in the summer? No, he's not. The only reason why it's been pushed now, from from what I can see, is so Barcelona aren't going to have to pay a World Cup premium when he goes there and lights the damn thing up. So from the perspective of, okay, Phil... We understand how you feel. We're not going to hold you to ransom. We're going to make a fair, decent price based on your market value, which has gone through the roof because you're playing so well, and we're thankful for that. But you've got to understand that we need to do this in a way that suits all parties. And him leaving halfway through the season does not suit all parties in the slightest. And I would have thought that that would have been made abundantly clear to him as the absolute bottom line. 
Um, if you were in the dressing room with them, Dan, Austin, what would you feel about it? I'd be furious with him. Um, I mean, it's the second time it's happened now. I, I mean, I get that he might have an injury, but I don't really believe that he has got an injury because he's done it before. There's, there's past evidence yeah, of him having said, "I'm injured," um, and we know that it's it's him trying to get a move. So I'm 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 not really tempted to believe him on this one, to be honest. Um, and I, I would have been very frustrated with him in August if you if you start a season and a lad has turned up for pre-season training and he's your teammate and you've known him for however many years that you've known him and you're mates with him and whatever else, and then he, and he's one of your best players as well, and you look to him to give the ball and and get you know have him score goals that win your football matches and then suddenly he goes I'm not going to play for it because I want to go somewhere else for him to then stay and do it a second time a few months later once he's once he has played really well once he has been crucial to what you're doing both in um, the league and in European football for him to then get to the very beginning of January and go I still want to go and I'm not playing anymore again you you you, you you just want to turn around to him and shake him and say, listen, get a grip of yourself, lads. We're all part of the same thing here. And I understand from his point of view that he wants to go and he has, he feels like he has to make some sort of move to force Liverpool's hand. But he's, 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 making, he's making no friends here at all. You know what, I'm gonna, I'll am gonna i cut him a little bit of slack purely off the basis that if, if he's that hell-bent hell on going now to behave the way he's been behaving, he's obviously felt like that for a long time and yet he's still performed. For Liverpool, he still put it in. He, he could have, he could have down tools. He's still been. One of our I most, don't know though. He's, he's still... been one of our most impressive performers, and also you've got to, you got to really appreciate the the pressure, especially South American fo- footballers. They're under. They, they have an. They have much more of an entourage based mm. circle of friends than than European players. You know, they're, they're like he'll have his family pushing for it. It's well known as family being pushing Obviously. for it. Everyone will be in his ear. His commercial team will be like, oh, go, well, you know, look what you can do. Uh, if you go to Barcelona, he's got he's got a boot deal with Nike. Obviously, Nike do Barcelona's kit deal. I I don't I don't know. I mean, if, I, I'm I'm sound with people being upset with him, but. 99% of my ire around this is directed at Barcelona, to I'm, be quite honest. I think, I think they've behaved abominably. I don't understand this special currency that Madrid and Barcelona have in regards to behaving in this way and they get away with it year after year after year after year. And, you know, players' heads get turned. That's right. And when they're, when they're allowed to behave the way they behave, who's surprised? The difference for me between Barcelona's actions and Coutinho's actions is, <clears throat> number one, Barcelona have been doing it for a very long time. And they've been they've done it to everyone. But the other thing is, is that it worked. That the, these tactics always work for Barcelona. Coutinho, he tried the same thing in the summer. It didn't work. Mm. All it did is it got everyone really angry at him. So if he really is that keen to go, surely someone should have said to him, maybe there's a better way to go about this. Well, you know, what, no one, you know, one's count not what no one's counting on. And I said this: Liverpool silence. People are taking Liverpool silence for acceptance. When actually no oh, one really knows. That. No, no. So hang on, let me let me let me say this. John Henry is a self-made billionaire. Mm-hmm. He's a self-made billionaire. He won't take too kindly to being bullied or being told what to do by Barcelona or anyone. So if it happens in this month, it will only happen on Liverpool's terms. None of this. The reason why there's so much prevarication and noise around is because Barcelona aren't getting what they want. Mm. They're talking factored deals, incentives here, incentives there. You look at when Suarez actually finally went. It was done quietly. Quietly, was, in, right. in a gentlemanly manner, and it was all sorted. They're prevaricating because they're not getting what they want. They will, they, they will know the price at which it will cost to take Coutinho tomorrow. And they're doing everything they can, especially because they're financially not as rich as what they were, no. 
to get it on to get it on a lesser standard, and they're trying to do that by uh, by agitating the player. I agree with the points on um, Barcelona's behaviour and John Henry and all that sort of stuff, but I I, I I disagree with what you said about like his his performances have been good in the meantime, because I don't think that's I don't think that's him like being really selfless he's not and doing, doing, and, favor, doing and doing he? it for Liverpool. Look at Virgil van Dijk for Southampton this season though. He's not been well, anywhere near. I'm, well, I'm about to maybe point. Philip Coutinho has got a World Cup coming up in which he very much wants to start for Brazil. Yes. Very much wants to start for Brazil. And as good as he is, Brazil have got loads of other lads that are really good at footy in that position as well, who could quite easily end up playing instead of him if he down if he down tools. Also, I know that it's it's probably all just conjecture and they're using it to play him off. But there's been loads of talk about Barcelona going after Griezmann. Yes. I'm sure in his head he's thinking, well, it does seem like they really want me, but. They could easily just go and get that lad if they wanted to as well. So I'm sure they're playing him off in that way. That probably then does make him think, you know what, I've got to really force this. Mm-hmm. But his performance level and him playing really well is not just because he thinks I want Liverpool to do really well this season. He's got his own long-term goal Very that involves so. him being good enough to go and play for Barcelona. And also, he's got to guarantee that he, he starts games at Barcelona. You would very much assume that he does because of the price that they are eventually going to pay for him. But there are loads of other lads that they've paid, paid lots of money for in that team. They've paid 100 and something for Usman Dembele, who's coming back from injury. Mm-hmm. Um, they played a lot of money for the likes of Rakitic and Paulinho, who were in midfield as well. Iniesta's still there. And they had Ibrahimovic as well. Well, it was a very political thing, really, yeah, with Messi. Yeah. Well, well, but that also could happen. He could turn up there and Messi goes, don't want him playing. He takes the shine away from me, <laughs> and then what? And then they, then they have to then they have to bin Coutinho because he's got that power there. He's more powerful than anyone at any other football team. So he ha- he has to put the performances in now to make sure that first of all he gets the move to Barcelona, and they don't think ah this lad in our league playing really well. Maybe we could look at him instead. And also that when it comes to the World Cup in the summer, he's first, second, third, whatever name on the team sheet for Brazil. Mo, where do you see this one ending up? Uh, to use a Gutmanism uh, of a question in that. I'm still, I oscillate between thinking, oh, this could just happen now in January, to thinking, you know what, Liverpool might be sufficiently bloody-minded to ensure that this just doesn't happen full stop, even looking into the summer. As what Andy says before, if it doesn't happen Mm -hmm. on their terms, they may decide, well, we're just not interested in that. It may well be even create a situation where Klopp and the squad might even be stuck in the middle. Klopp himself might think, you know what, I've had enough of this. But he may well be dealing with a hierarchy who are going, we just don't want that, mate. We, we, We make our stance here. How do you think this Which is what happened in the summer. Which yeah. is what happens in the summer. How do you think this ends up I going? think there's there's some key parts of the information that we won't know until it's done that avoid me being able to make a clear argument. For example, the rumours around Klopp saying to Coutinho that they would be more receptive to a move in January if he did knuckle down in the first half of the season. Personally, I think that's kind of ridiculous. But those are some of the rumours that come out. If you... Put a gun to my head. I would agree with you that John Henry is a good enough businessman not to have to bend over to Barcelona's whim. I'm still unconvinced Barcelona will be able to put up the financial package necessary to, to say, okay, we're going to do it. Because what you've got to remember is that even if they do agree a deal for the summer now, the price that they'll be agreeing now and the price that they could have to pay after the World Cup is still going to be a massive it, it, It's not necessarily the, the business side of John Henry. Um, it's more the ego side of it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you look at the way he behaved with, with Arsenal and Suarez all those years ago um, and then you hear stories about, and we know about his attitude towards the, the way Barcelona behaved a, a few months back. The he gets affronted. He, he'll see this as an affront. Mm. He will see this as an affront. Um, I hope he does. Well, 
And then, I mean, and that only, and again, that that leans into Liverpool, like handling in a quiet and dignified manner, and going, no, look, there's your price, meet mm. it all, go away. I mean, the thing that you've got to be hoping that they're saying to him is that someone at Liverpool saying to Philip Coutinho, look, they're basically hanging you out to dry a little bit here. They're making you no, but that's the bad but, but that's that's exactly it. If, if 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 you say nothing and you don't give Coutinho anything to hang it on. Say, oh, the club have treated me disgracefully. They've done this. They've done that. Would you go? No, look, Phil. We just sat back. We let it develop. Did they really want you that much? If they don't, if, if they yeah. weren't willing to pay what we value, we value you this much because you're such. A, we think you're a world class player. We think you're worth this much. That's why we're paying you this much a week. If they really, if they really want to do as much as they say they do, why, why aren't they invested in as as invested in your talent as we are? Dan, how do you think it ends up? Um, I'm sort of stuck between two things where what do you want to see happen I want him to stay I don't want him leaving in January um, however irritated you are you want him to stay yes because I don't think Liverpool can replace him with a player that will perform to anywhere near the same level they could quite easily go and get a player who in the future will perform to the same level but we need someone who can come in and play now um, and try and help us finish as high up the league as possible and try and help us win a European Cup Um as 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 far away as we are from it, you've only got to be Porto, and you you're looking at it and thinking, why not? Yeah. Um. So it, if they were to sell him, it would need to be someone who could come in and play now, and I don't think that player exists. I don't think I, I just don't think it's possible. So I very much hope that they him till the summer, and then what happens in the summer happens in the summer. I think it's. I, I, I know that on the gutter show and stuff, Mike was talking about him staying beyond that and offering him a new contract and 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 stuff like that. Um. But we stop him. No. Oh, okay. We're going to go to a break in a Oh, bit. sorry. I, I saw the hand signal and thought that was for me. Um, I know Mike was talking about like getting him like a new contract and offering him the captaincy and all that sort of stuff, but I think I think it's too far gone. I know there's examples of players being brought back and, and, and De Gea has been used a few times. You know, he was meant to be going to Real Madrid. He did about go. It was four just a years ago. too late. Well, yeah. They sent him a copy of uh, Zoo Tycoon, didn't they? By fax <laughs> <laughs> instead of the actual thing. Um, so, at... I, but I, I don't think that's the case with him. I think, I think, especially after January, too many bridges will be burned and he will have to go at some point. But it doesn't make any kind of sense for Liverpool Football Club to sell him now, especially as well the possibility of, of doing the deal now, but accepting it's going to happen in the summer because then we all just spend the next five months knowing that he's going. And is he going to put the same effort in then? Or is, is, is he going to be quite as committed to the Liverpool cause as what he would be in a normal season because it, it comes to May is he that bothered about Liverpool finishing fourth mm. or does he want to make sure that he's not injured for the World Cup OK this is the Anfield Wrap and we will be back in a second Welcome back Neil Atkinson Mo Stewart Andy Heaton and Dan Austin want to talk about Burnley Dan and the impressiveness of the result more than the performance but there's something in the performance the battling quality to me the more I think about them when I watch the Burnley game back it almost felt like uh, Leicester home and Burnley away was this weird two-legged affair Liverpool had against two teams mm-hmm. where they had to win both the legs and they did so and I think that you know you because you know this side can play brilliant football to watch it go to Burnley and effectively scrap on Burnley's level and out-scrap Burnley on Burnley's level and then show those moments of quality that they did show it's a really impressive three points absolutely uh, I'm much much more happy with the Leicester and Burnley games than I am for example with the Bournemouth and Swansea games um, because I think it tells you an awful lot more about Liverpool in a, in a, in a positive way than what those two do um, 
because we know that Liverpool can, can can beat teams like that in that way. And and I mean, it's it's great to watch your team score four and five and everything. Um, and I, I probably shouldn't take that for granted, but I, I feel like I can at, at this point with this team because we know they're capable of it. Um, we haven't seen so much of 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 the latter of of the Burnley and Leicester games though this season, at least anyway. Um, so it felt like it felt like a bit of a turning point. It felt like games where at times they were really on the back foot. And they just rode it out and they stayed really calm and there was none of the panicking at the back. Um, sometimes the ball was getting through the midfield a bit too easily in both of those games, I thought. But then the centre-halves went up a notch compared to what they have been all season, I would say. I think both Clavan and Lovren had, had their best games. Um, they both played well at Arsenal as well, despite the fact that we conceded three. But certainly in those two, I, th- I, th- I thought they were very, very good and obviously get the reward with, with the combination for the goal at the end against Burnley. Um, so it, it's a massive thing to take into the new year, I think, that there's that kind of... Um, that that they've got that resolute nature in them now, and we've all seen it. It gives everyone in the ground, I think, a bit more belief. Or well, I would hope so, anyway, because I know that during the Leicester game, lots of people were frustrated at one nil, um, and I wasn't at the game at Burnley, but it seemed, you know, from clicking through my phone and stuff at half time, that lots of people were frustrated. And I think a lot of the time, that's the same people who say, "Can't we just grind one out?" Yeah. Or can't, 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 can't we just win like this? And then it's like, what do you think we're doing? Like, like it, it, it's 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 nil nil half time, and we've done all right. We haven't played brilliantly, but we've done all right. This is what grinding out the result is, um, and I'm really happy that they've been able to do that. I think loads of the lads who played in those two games will probably drop out of the side for this period now that there's there's less games in January. But quite a few of them have proven that they can be useful coming into the team as the season goes on and as Liverpool go hopefully further in various competitions which is something that they didn't have at this stage last season it's massive uh, in comparison to last season I think Andy in that there was the Sunderland comparison but also we got 10 points from the four games over Christmas last year but we we never felt you never felt that we come through it unscathed and then you saw what, what, what went on to happen next here you do sort of feel as though they have come through unscathed football can change and it can turn and it can bite you quickly and all of that sort of stuff but you the different performances, the different results, the sufficiently horrible the last two with 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 with, with other factors in there. I think it's the, there's real reason to be cheerful about the side going into the new year. Yeah, I think we managed to stay on the bike, um, whereas last year we yeah. we would have given and fell and, and come off. Um, I actually think the games were different, you know. Well, I think yeah, the they are very different, different games. I, I think against Leicester, I mean Leicester won the final whistle. Went it was like we'd, we'd won some, we'd actually won something tangible, and maybe we did. Um, but both what they have got in common both of them we we didn't take the bait and allow ourselves to feel sorry for ourselves mm-hmm. whereas in previous seasons it would have been oh here we go again you know even this season I think even this on. season to a degree yeah they're learning as they're learning as they're going um, I don't think Burnley I mean people say oh it was a battle I, I think Burnley played well but they never imposed themselves on us. I don't think they would ever. I, I don't think anyone could ever argue at one 0 Despite us not playing particularly well, either we managed it very well. And then we can see the goal in the most. And again, it's biased the most Liverpool-like fashion. But in an un-Liverpool-like fashion, we then go up the other end, and and we get the winner. I don't think there's any complaints. And I think with, and I think that was more grit and determination and more affront. Affronted that we can see that goal, whereas Leicester, you know, we, we can see it early, and then it, it, it's climbing that mountain. But both, both character and uh, bravery. I think affront that we were affronted. I think that maybe is something that the two games do actually have in common. Though it's not just that we, not just that we can see it early against Leicester, but also their tactics, the way they approach it, the mm-hmm. fact that it's clearly, you know, there's clearly bits in there. And the person, the footballer, who I, I think comes out the most successfully, even though he doesn't have anywhere near two perfect performances. But the one who I think 
best sort of symbolised that feeling of being affronted and not standing for it was Chan, who I think, you know, he's needly as anything against Leicester. It's him hanging on for dear life, keeping moving forward against Burnley to win the free kick, high mm-hmm. up the pitch at the very end. You know, that to me was a real... Both the two performances where he can walk off, and as I say, without feeling like he's played perfect games of football, he's not played Xabi Alonso football or no. Javier Mascherano football, but he can walk off with his head held high. He's scrapped with every ounce of his being. And that's something that we have regularly seen from him. I remember when he was going through his bad patch last season and it was the game at home against Burnley and he had a really bad first half. Then he ends up scoring mm-hmm. the winner in the second half and from there he kind of picks up for the rest of the season. So yeah, you're right in as much as he very much exemplified that whole we're not going to stand for it this time. And that was so encouraging to see. The thing that I liked the most was that even though it was the same kind of spirit and attitude necessary, it was two very different kinds of ways of doing it. There was one where against Leicester, we had to show patience. We had to trust in our process and know that eventually when the chances come, we will be have the quality to take it. Whereas against Burnley, we had one game plan. Unfortunately, it didn't work. It was... It was really one moment of uh, lack of concentration that cost us and it would have been a really harsh lesson to learn but they didn't decide they d- didn't decide to lay down and take it and like you say they went from the last 10 minutes before the goal trying to be more compact trying to be more um reserved in how they play and the hardest thing in football I think is to go from doing that to then attacking again and especially when you've only got four or seven minutes to do it and the fact that we were able to do that we're able to create a chance and then be able to be first to the first ball first to the second ball and put it away well, I thought it, it, was really great there's, there's two things here it's, it's it's two games on the bounce where we've won by the odd goal which again is let's go back to the un-Liverpool like thing mm. And also over, especially over Christmas, I don't think we'd scored. There was a stat about us scoring after the 70th minute going into December or something like that, and we've scored now four in 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 four. And these things can become habit. I always go back to Neil. Remember this um, when Everton had that season where they recorded about 48 one nil wins or something. Yeah, seven on the bounce, which is just unreal. Which is, which is mad. And you get into and, and football throws mad patterns. Like it's like when when Rooney scored eight headers in eight consecutive games and things mm. like that. It's and you get into these little habits and the, there's positive habits and negative habits and it's it's getting that belief. They'll go back in after Leicester, they've got... All right, so the way to look at it is this. Do we do we come back and score that late winner Have if we hadn't have done it against Leicester? It's a lot less likely. Do you know what I mean? Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? It's having yep. that belief. Going back into the dressing room and going, see, you can do it, you can do it, and then you do it twice, back in, see, boys, you can do it. So next time, when they can see the sloppy one or a soft one, they go, it's all right. It's all right. We've got this. The other, the other, the other thing to take from it is we're still waiting. Uh, as we have a chat here, Dan, we're still waiting for Spurs to play uh, against West Ham. Yeah. But we're able to look at the running games over Christmas. We're able to look at those Christmas fixtures and say we've done as well as anybody else. We have done absolutely as well as anyone else. We've also had Arsenal away in there, and we've walked away with the, with the same points total as Manchester City, the runaway leaders, mm-hmm. and that is. That's huge at this stage of the season. They often say that the crucible of, of a title challenge is in is is a Christmas Christmas and Easter. Well, at the minute, you know the title challenge it's gone. But this massive challenge for the top four, which has got five sides involved, five really good sides who would all probably be Champions League clubs in any other league in Europe, we've got ourselves in a situation there where we've done as well as everyone else as anyone else and better than most. 
Yeah, and it's all been down to those fine margins, especially in the last two games where Liverpool could quite easily have been four points worse off. Or in the Leicester game, maybe even five points worse off mm. than, than what they have ended up being. Um, and it's a credit to the de- determination that they've shown in all of those games that they've managed to do it. Um, if you'd have offered that points total at the start of that run, I think everyone would have absolutely taken it. Um, I, I keep coming back to it, but it is such a shame that matching Man City doesn't get you in the conversation anymore and, and that's not to do with Liverpool that's just because Manchester City are so good um, but they've put a marker down I think against the rest of the teams and it's not even it's not even about the points total it's just about the way they've played in those games because they've sort of done a bit of everything they've done the determination and grinding things out one they've done the we're going to play some teams off the park one. They've gone away to Arsenal, and although there was that mad five minutes, aside from that, completely outplayed a, a rival team. So I think, not not just in terms of, of the points total, but in terms of the the vibe around each team in, in the top six, Barman City going into this next period of the games, which that City game aside also looks quite kind for Liverpool, I think. Um, Liverpool have got the most kind of forward momentum with them and that can only be helpful, especially this time of year. OK, uh, we'll be back in a second or two. Welcome back. Uh, earlier today, I spoke to Conor McNamara about the thrill of covering the third round of the FA Cup for the radio. There's nothing better as far as I'm concerned. We had a lovely little chat, here it is. Joined by Conor McNamara to talk about the excitement of third round FA Cup day as someone who covers it. And Conor, I mean, I I have said on shows going back years, for me, the third round of the FA Cup, that Saturday, that sort of stint from this year, let's say 1pm through till 5, 5.30. For me, it's... It's about as exciting as radio gets. Put everything else to one side for a second for me. It's a genuine radio experience. What's it like to be at the heart of it? No, it is. It, it, look, this, this weekend of the year, over the years, has, has regularly been my favourite weekend to work uh, in, in the sort of football calendar. And it's because of the unpredictability. You never quite know what you're going to get in the FA Cup, except you do know that every weekend there will be a story. And, and even more than that, usually every day of the weekend, there's a story of some sort. And this is where I guess, you know, clubs like Liverpool, in a way, we, we want to be up on a pedestal to be knocked down because it's uh, what, you know, from, from the neutral's point of view, what you want is you want the, the little teams to have a right go at the big teams. And that's why it's always great when you've got a, a Premier League side away from home against lower league opposition. I remember doing Liverpool away at AFC Wimbledon in the, in the third round a few, a few years back. And, and that's the game you want because you want the, the established Premier League stars out of their comfort zone having to play on a pitch that's maybe a bit substandard to what they're used to, having to use changing rooms and dressing rooms that they're not quite used to. And therefore, that gives the potential for a wobble. And, and I guess that that's sort of, you know, quite, quite selfishly, that's what we want. We want the big teams to wobble in the FA Cup third round weekend because that's what makes it really exciting. That's the kind of thing that makes people sort of pull their car over and go, oh my God, I can't believe Man United are going to go out to Burton or whoever. Um, and, and, you know, so, so quite selfishly, that's what we want. Unfortunately, this year, there's no non-league teams that made it through to the third round, which, which yeah. is a bit of a disappointment, I have to say. Is there, is there something where, you, I mean, your job is anyway really rather hard. You're describing a football match for a huge number of people at home who can't see it and that's you know you're trying to put over not just literally who's kicking the ball but also what the atmosphere is like how it feels what the weather's doing you know that there's there's, there's so many levels that you've got to put over is it even harder and therefore more engaging and more exciting on third round day because you've also got to have the idea of what's happening elsewhere you could you get you, you might get less time to talk about the game that it's it, you know it must feel really like being alive and amongst all of that no, it really does. I find, now, now to be fair, uh, it's my colleague Ian Dennis who does a lot of the three o'clock games um, on, on Five Live, but I have 
stood into that role many times. And for me, it's fantastic. At the end of the game, you do feel you want to lie down in the dark. <laughs> There's so much going on in your head at one time. I mean, I'll, I'll try and sort of you know illustrate it out for you. But um, you know, first and foremost, you're there and you're commentating on a game, so you're describing the action and you're making sure, and particularly when it, it is that sort of lower league team who you mightn't be used to seeing every week. So it's not like you know if you're doing. Liverpool against Everton, you you know by a glance you recognise all the players very yeah. easily. Where, whereas if it's a lower league team, you just need that extra level of concentration. So, so that's first and foremost. Then you've got all these other games on at the same time. Now you often have a producer alongside you who's got a laptop who's getting the scores coming in, but constantly they're giving you the nudge. So you've got to say, oh, yeah, there's been a goal in the North County game, or there's been a goal at Preston North End, and you're trying to remember which division are they in and what ground do they play in. And again, it's all rudimentary stuff. But you're making hundreds of these decisions in, in very, you know, over the course of the afternoon. Then you add into the fact that we've got reporters at, at so many other games. So how it works on Five Live is we have a producer in the studio who will come in your ear and say, right, there's been a goal at West Ham, go to Alistair Yeomans, whoever it is. And then you've got to decide, okay, do I go to that straight away? Or is there a chance actually there might be a goal in our game? Do I have to pause for just a moment? Sometimes they'll say, go for an update. Go to Goodison Park. John Murray's there with an update. And then they'll change their mind just as you're about to do that and say, no, hang on, there's a goal at Aston Villa, go to Villa Park instead of Pat Murphy. So you've all this going on in your ear in the background while the actual commentary is going on. And you've someone like Robbie Savage telling you an anecdote about the thing he did at Blackburn and you're trying to keep up with that as well. So by the time the game ends, you do just want to lie down. Sometimes you go back and you sit in the car and you just sit there for a minute and you go, <laughs> but that's the fun of the FA Cup third round and I definitely wouldn't change it. One of the things that strikes me when I'm when I'm listening to Five Live, and it's not just to talk about the the, the brilliance of the BBC at times, but it, it is that feeling that there's there's almost like a relay race. There's 15, 16, 17 different reporters across all these games, and no one quite knows who's going to end up with the baton at any stage. And that's really interesting in that you know it shows firstly the the, the quality of, of broadcasters that there are, but secondly, I think it also shows the, the the commitment to the idea that this is this is an event, this is a live thing. You know, everyone, all the all those all those reporters, commentators, journalists. They must all be getting psyched up for the idea of what this big Saturday is all about. Yeah, I think on, in that atmosphere, when you're the reporter at a game, you know you are hoping that the story will be <laughs> in your, your stadium, and you're hoping they're going to pass it over to you. And of course, you know there are many an FA Cup third round where you'll just you know you'll you'll drive home because you're at Stanford Bridge or somewhere, and they've just hammered some lower league team by four goals to nil, and it's just not the story on that day. Um, but then, of course, sometimes you're at Stamford Bridge and, and some lower league team will give them a right go and, and suddenly the, the commentary ends up being handed over to you and it just gets really, really exciting. And you, you do sort of get that, that feeling that, you know, the country will be listening in because everyone knows it's FA Cup third round weekend. Everyone knows there will be a surprise somewhere. Um, and yeah, I, I think all the reporters, it's one of those days where everyone getting in their car to go to work, to go to a stadium and maybe a stadium they're not that used to being at before but they know they could end up being the big story today. And, and I think, you know, what, what you sort of want an FA Cup third round is when, when sports report is played at five o'clock and they play that famous old music and they always put a little clip of a commentary and it's, uh, it's a really big buzz if that's <laughs> your voice, you know, and you're saying something like, you know, and Barnsley have put Chelsea out of the FA Cup or whatever it is. Um, but, but that is a big buzz. And I think FA Cup is a real, you know, not to sort of toe the corporate line here, but it's true, you know, it, it, it's a really good showcase of the breadth of, of resource that BBC has. I mean, up and down the country, you've got BBC local radio stations who cover every team, you know, every single team in all the leagues. You'll have a BBC reporter there at every game, every weekend. And you think about that in, in terms of logistics and the scale of it. Um, and then when it comes to a third round game and say you're away at Colchester or you have a game at 
you know, Exeter, some club that doesn't get as much publicity as, as the Premier League side. It's great that the BBC have the resource of, of there is a local reporter there who will have been to games, who will have commentated of games, who knows that club inside out, who knows the manager, who can set up interviews and stuff. And the FA Cup third round is, is, is a great weekend where the BBC Sport sort of arm can just can flex its muscle a little bit and just show that, you know, this is the resource that we have. This is the, the service we're able to provide. And, and, and every FA Cup third round weekend, there are fantastic stories that come up and down the country. And I think the other thing it tells as well isn't just the story of, I completely agree with you there on, on, on the BBC's reach and breadth, but also the reach and breadth of association football and professional football in this country. We overlook, I think, don't we, Connor? And I think the third round weekend's a really good opportunity to remember it, that, you know, this is, this is a country with 92, professional football clubs playing league football that is more than you know it's more than most in fact I think almost all other countries all other leagues you know there's it, the, the, the pyramid does not go professionally as deep in Italy or as in, in Germany as it does in, uh, in, in in England and I think that that's something which is you know again which is too easily overlooked when we're, when we're, we're casting jealous eyes at, at the Bundesliga and about ticket prices or safe standing one of the things that we sort of don't dwell on is the idea that well in this country we are and we, we hopefully manage to protect 92 professional clubs that this is we get to remember that and maybe we don't do enough but we get to remember that this is this the game is indeed nationwide and it's nationwide but also still exists on a really local level in lots of different places no absolutely i couldn't agree more and you know i mean because of you know the the, the interest level and where on, a, on any given average saturday you will be sent to is, is a premier league game or, or almost exclusively. The FA Cup third round is, is a great chance to go and see these other clubs. And you see that, yes, it is the national game. And, you know, the, the fervour that a fan will have down in, the, in League Two, how they care passionately about their team will be every bit as fervently as how a, a Liverpool fan will feel in the Premier League or playing in the Champions League. And they've completely different aspirations. You know, they know they're not going to win uh, league titles. They know they're not going to play in Europe. Um, but yet they go, they invest their money, they, they spend the money on, on getting their kids the local replica shirt, um, they they would buy the DVDs, whatever it is, and you know the lower down the leagues you go, you're, you're talking about a less polished product, shall we say? Um, but there's no doubting the, the the commitment that's needed to keep that in place, because more and more as football becomes completely a business, um, it, it's harder and harder for these clubs to compete. And I think the old sort of romantic notion was, well, look, if you're a League Two club and you you've got a promising youngster and you bring him through, well, then you'll get this this whirlwind of cash when you sell him on to a bigger club and. And that cash will keep your club going. But of course, nowadays, the, the bigger teams are just creating these enormous academies, yeah. which are just hoovering up all the young talent. And it's almost like it, how it works now is it's the players who don't make it in the academies trickle down and eventually get a game at League Two. It's not that the, the good guys who get to play in the League Two then get promoted up towards the Premier League. So the it, game has been turned on its head. And so many of these lower league clubs now depend on you know, sponsorship of local businesses, obviously the patronage of, of local people. Um, and, and just the commitment to keep these clubs going, which is, and I see it myself, it's so much been done by, by volunteers. We'll go to a club on a third round day and, and they might have to extend their press facilities and you know, they might normally get about four journalists coming and suddenly they draw a big team and they get 44 <laughs> and they're putting in extra seating and they're laying stuff out and they're giving us cups of tea. And you know, I've seen people who are chairman of clubs and their wives down and making sandwiches that, that you, know, you, you know was made in their kitchen this morning. It wasn't yep. made in some catering company. And I think that sort of spirit is why football is the national sport. I mean, that, you know, wh- where else in the country do you get that replicated, where people care that much about it? And that's why it, 
you know, these 92 clubs are sustained and then you've got the thriving non-league as well. So the, the, the breadth, the extent of football in this country, you're, you're dead right, is something that just magnified an FA Cup third round. Eight. And you, what, well, just, to, just to sum up, Connor, what, where, where, where are you getting sent this weekend? What's the, what's, the, what's the plan? How are you getting yourself on Sports Report? Yeah, it's a busy, busy weekend. So Friday night, uh, unfortunately, I won't be watching the Merseyside Derby because I'll be, uh, I'll be at Old Trafford, Manchester United against Derby County. Derby of a different kind. I think the way United have been playing lately, who knows? We could get a cup <laughs> surprise there. Uh, then on Saturday, uh, a long journey. I've got to get all the way to Norwich. Uh, but it's it's a good game and it's not till the five thirty kickoff. So I don't have to get up at stupid early in the morning. But Conor McNamara on the A14. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And by the way, and I've, I've said this before on record, you know, I've been all over the world. I've, you know, worked on three different continents, four continents watching football. I've been to places in Asia and Africa and South America. There is nowhere more difficult to get to than Norwich. Right? You're driving <laughs> that road and you think, you think, you look at your watch, you go, I'm only an hour away now. And then about two hours later, you look at your watch, you go, I'm still 40 minutes away now. How is this happening? <laughs> it, is, it is just this small, narrow road. You get stuck behind a tractor and that's it. You're, you're done. Um, but yeah, so I've got that on Saturday and then on Sunday, I'm sort of way back up to the Northwest. Then I'm uh, stopping off in Nottingham because I'm doing Nottingham Forest against Arsenal, which is the, the four o'clock game. So then I'll eventually get back home on Sunday night. So, so pretty much having left home, Lunchtime Friday, I'll be I'll be getting into the bed Sunday night and, and knowing that I've put in a good shift. But it, it, you kind of feel like you're a truck driver, just up and down the country, pulling into services, listening to the radio, and uh, and making sure you've got all your your you know your notes and your stats right for these uh, these teams that you mightn't see as often as the Premier League sides. Excellent. Well, thanks so much, Connor, for taking the time today on your day off uh, to have a little chat to us. And we will get back to everyone else and we'll have a big chat about Liverpool versus Everton. A game we know well in the third round of the FA Cup. Let's talk to everyone else. Always good to speak to Connor. Uh, in real life, really. The first time we've had him on any shows, but he's fantastic and he's a terrific commentator as well. And um, I was I was very pleased when the draw came through that we had Everton at home in the third round. And there's loads of reasons why. I think it'll be a really good atmosphere. The fact that they moved it onto Friday night, Andy. All of that, it's exciting. It's great to beat Everton. And hopefully that's what Liverpool are going to go on and do here. But there is ever so slightly part of me that wouldn't mind being part of the FA Cup magic. Let's get a you know, let's get a, a side from the from, from League One who will give us a bit of a tough time, but we'll beat them in the end, uh, sort of nonsense. So there's part of me that is a bit like, oh no, not these, not now. It, it do you think it feels like the game you don't really want now that it's arrived, or are you still thinking, oh, let's bring them on Friday night and do them? Well, I, th- I mean, I know if you get like a League 2 or a League 1 side, it's the occasion they might actually bother trying to attack, whereas, you know, with Everton, they're not going to bother the- bother outside their own 18-yard box, so that's a shame. Um, <laughs> no, listen, uh, we owe them one after um, Calvert-Lewin's little swan dive there, and uh, the quicker you can, get, you can get back on the beating, beating Everton horse, the... Uh, <laughs> The better, if you'd ask me. Uh, As that old saying goes. <laughs> well, I could... I, hey, listen, I forgot. We can cut loose on this when we finish this talk, haven't we? I hope we fucking murdered the bastards. <laughs> and I made up it to them. It's... I, I do think, you know, it's interesting the manager does press conference. He said he's going to play Caddies, he's not going to play Ward. He did say at the start of the season Ward will get the domestic cups more. He said he's going to show the FA Cup all that all the respect that it deserves. I do wonder if there's somewhere where Jurgen Klopp at least would have preferred the League One, League Two team at home. Would have lashed Danny Ward in. Would have played three or four others that you haven't seen for a while. Maybe Woodburn, maybe Brewster mm-hmm. finds a way to at least be on the bench, maybe Ajaria. As it is, he understands as a man the way derbies are. And he also doesn't like to be affronted. 
He's, no. he's he's shown that right the way through his tenure at Liverpool. That you know, he said after the two two against West Brom, going way back years now, he said no one will come to Anfield and, and win playing like that again. He won't have it. And you know, almost on a personal level, you don't get away with that. And I just sort of wondered if if there's a chance, certainly if Liverpool score early, if Everton could be in for it on on Friday night. Oh, he's got a long memory, and he he bears grudges, and I love that in a manager. And I agree with you that there's a part of him that would have preferred the opportunity to do that. But I think every fan would agree with Andy that, number one, I'm glad we don't have to sit through a game like that because, let's face it, every time we've played a low-league team in the FA Cup the last few years, not only have they managed to frustrate us, the games have been terrible games. So at least this time we're going to be having a little bit more excitement. On top of that, I agree, we definitely, definitely owe them one. And I feel like we need to eliminate any thoughts that those tactics that they put in in the last game could work not just for Everton, but for the rest of the Premier League. Can I, right, okay, so here's the difference. Liverpool draw away at Goodison and it gets the manager to sack. Everton draw against Liverpool at Anfield and they're about to make Sam a Saint. Well, I think they're making Sam a Saint that interesting because one of the reasons why I'd, I'd there's obviously... For, for a week or two, they're getting fed well, up with them I'm now about already. I to say, one of the reasons why I'd, I'd love to... Love, love to have a game at Anfield here, Dan, where they just get undone, they show nothing, they find themselves getting done 3-0, is it will actually hasten them deciding that they don't want this fella in charge because they're already getting antsy about it. They're already making little noises to one another as though, you know, this isn't great, as though, you know, the, 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 watching, the thing about that football is when you don't engage, forget being defensive or attacking, when you just don't engage, when you don't tackle, when you don't really press, when you have nothing yeah. to do with the game, and then you don't win or especially if you get beat, but if you don't win a game, you feel as though you should win. Everyone hates it. Everyone walks away going, I hate this, I don't want to watch this. Yeah, there's absolutely no positive. Um, it, it, it really does feel like we owe them one. Um, I, th- I think th- they did rush rush to the clamour with them after that one. And it's, I mean, it's understandable because it's not even... I'm not trying to be patronising here, but they're genuinely not no, used to getting any yeah. results at Anfield. Like that is a genuinely very good achievement for them, um, which is really sad, but it is. Um, so I can understand why. I, I was delighted they were with that one, but then yeah, they've lost to Bournemouth, they've lost to United. There are a few more grumblings. It feels like if we, I, I'm going to say, g- give them a pace. And I don't even mean score a load of goals. I just mean if we win two nil and they barely touch the football. I, I, I think it can turn for him quite quickly, especially when it gets to the end of the season and it's 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 clear that he's going to be there for a while longer because he got his way with the contract, the way they, the, they, did, they did the whole thing with him. Um, generally, I am absolutely bang up for it. I cannot believe it's Friday night. That's unreal. We've been waiting for a Friday night game, haven't we, ever since the, the announcement when we had, yeah, we've had Chelsea away, we've had Arsenal away. I don't think they're great. First of all, we haven't had a home one where you can go out straight afterwards. Secondly, for an away, the very far away ones, I've not been to them anyway. So this is my sort of first Friday night footy match. And it is very much the pinnacle. It is very much the pinnacle. I can't I can't believe they've allowed it. I've been looking forward to it so much ever since they did the draw. Um, and I mean, Liverpool should beat them because they're a much better football team. Uh, half days off getting booked everywhere tomorrow. <laughs> um, no, but going back to the actual football side of things, sorry to bore, um, we talk about the Carrius Ward thing. Interesting dilemma for Allardyce with the FA Cup. Because anyone apart from Liverpool, I think he changes a lot yes. in that side, including the goalkeeper specifically. And Rob Les gets a game, right? It's going to be interesting what he does now and whether he changes that up and throws everything in. Because in some weird interdimension somewhere else, he plays his full, full strength side and they somehow manage to get through. What's he doing the round after? Because bear in mind, their squad's still quite thin. 
So then, does he stick with it and go on and on and on at the risk of the league? Or does he then change it and everyone goes, oh, look, you're obsessed with Liverpool. You play, your big, you play, you play your, all your big boys against Liverpool, but you're not bothering with, I don't know. Man United, so let's just say Man United, say they beat Liverpool. And get United right, away. And get United away. He'll put the duds out against Man United away. See, I don't, I don't think he would do that, you know, because they're not, they're not in a position anymore... I don't think we're they're looking at relegation or anything. Um, there's a very settled top six that they're not going to get into, and Burnley are also too far ahead of them, I think, for them to realistically catch. And even if they did, I don't think they particularly want to finish seventh and go in the Europa League again. I don't think no. they're interested in that. So their, their league season effectively is finished, as, as I think, as far as they're concerned. They've got another derby at Goodison, and aside from that, I don't think they're really bothered. It doesn't make a difference if you finish eighth or twelfth, really. They're going to finish somewhere in that mix. Um, I... I, I don't see from their point of view why you wouldn't prioritise the FA Cup, especially now that there's a game at Liverpool. You could, in theory, kill kill two birds yeah. with one stone there by winning your first game at Anfield since 1999, and then trying to win your first trophy in what 23 years. Um, I think it, I, I think he he has to play a, a first team in the FA Cup, whether it was whether it is Liverpool away or I, whether they get Yeovil at home or whatever mm-hmm. it is. I think I think he'd be on a hard or not, and if, if he bin them off, I think he will play. Uh, a slightly changed team from the one he played in the league game but I think that's only because they're starting to get a few players back I expect to see Balassi I expect to see one of either Lennon or Vlasic trying to inject that long hidden pace I suspect that he was resting Sigurdsson midweek to play against us Yeah. so in terms of the existential question over whether or not he should go full or not I think he's banking on the fact that he's the, the, the signing that they're making probably as we speak, isn't going to be the only one they make. I think he's looking at potentially getting some more in, particularly if the Ross Barkley situation... Stephen Pienaar's on a free. Allows <laughs> yeah, there's, there's always Again. Stephen Pienaar. Tim but, Cale's knocking around somewhere. Pienaar must be going to West Ham. corner flags. But, but, but for Sam, um, a result in the derby does cure so many ills in one stone. that he, he's the kind of He could have the job is. for as long as he wants if yeah. he won that. I mean, could, could that play into our hands though? I think everything plays into our yeah. hands. I think the whole... One of the things I think plays into our hands is that there's going to be 8,000 Evertonians there, and I think that actually plays into our hands. One, because it'll mean that there, there, there will be a bang-up atmosphere, but there'll be an even more of a bang-up atmosphere. But also, too, it's very difficult to be completely passive and not yeah. influence a football mm-hmm. match. If there's 8,000 people behind you screaming, why aren't you tackling that red shite? And and that is, you know, I, I think that'll be really, really hard. And then uh, the other thing that where that plays into our hands is if we do get an early goal, if we do get 2-0 ahead and they can't get the ball off us, then those 8,000 people are effectively having breakdowns behind that goal and suddenly Allardyce and his players have got a much more difficult task on their hands. Just something my favourite Everton FA Cup fact. Go on. Yeah, right, so, and because we, can, we can't not talk about Everton FA Cup I mentioned this. There are boys and girls who weren't born in 1995 who've now grown up and had children since Everton have last won a trophy. <laughs> That's amazing. My favourite stat about Everton I've heard this week is that their last four games have had four shots on target. Yep. Four in the last four games. Was that games. shots or just shots on target? Shots on target. I right. mean, essentially, if they're having 20 shots and they're all going into the Kevin and Ryan, I'm not that asked about it, to be fair. So, if you look at it from that perspective, like you're saying, it's going to be a whole stand of them there, banking up, getting on their backs. But do they know how to change gears? I mean, I was reading an article by, in the Telegraph, mainly about Ross Barkley, but there was a really good line in it. It's like Sam Allardyce has got them to shut up shop so much that they're now actually locked in the till alongside <laughs> and the door is locked behind them. So once you're in that mindset and he would have said in that mindset, 
<laughs> Sorry, Andy's a show me joke. I'll, I'll let you tell it. It's a good joke. Um, once you're in that mindset, Derby or no, it's going to be so very hard for them to come out of it and to try and then go for us. So if we do get two goals up early, expect to see the tackles flying in a little bit harder because that's going to be their victory, isn't it? I haven't got an interesting start to, to follow up <laughs> you two there. But, just, but just remember, up remember when Andy Carroll scored that goal at Wembley? That was Sam, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> With £35 million, pound, one instalment, off you go. No, we just follow up for Mo there because we got, got us. That's completed Mo's rights, four and four, but zero in target in the last two home games. Zero oh. shots on target in the last two home games. And you're right, though. I mean, the, the shouts about the tackles, because we've seen them before. The shit sounds tackles go and the, and the arm wave to the crowd and Fer, Duncan Ferguson stood up with his tattoo on his arm, giving it all that. And yeah, Duncan, you were shit, mate. Soz. What team are you picking, him. Andy? What team are we picking? Yeah. Uh, well, we, we, all, we already know Carriers is starting. You're starting Van Dijk. Better oh. fucking happy. I'm starting Van Dyke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Van Dyke. Centre centre fireworks. But no, but on a serious note, uh, the way they'll probably set up, you want Matip and Van Dyke because you've got two six for four centre halves there straight away. Um, I would be tempted. Well, you got to stick with Robertson because Moreno's not fully fit. You want to get rid of And you've just rested Robertson as well. And you've just rested Robertson. Um, and for the same reason, actually, I go with Trent. I go with Trent. A bit of finesse on that right hand side, and you got covered with the height by two centre halves. Big. So Emery Chan, centre midfield. That's good form the last two, and he's he's played, and he's had to dog the last two games. So no change for him there against Everton. Um, maybe Henderson's out, isn't he? Lallana. I think Lallana will start. He tends to play well against Everton and then what's left for Salah's Milner? Salah's out um, Milner doesn't play Burnley possibly Milner yeah so Chan Milner and Vinaldum and Lalana. and Lalana, and then that leaves Firmino and Mane there you go. You'll be doing. Job done. I think you start off Clay Chamberlain yourself. Yeah, right? I was off yeah. Clay Chamberlain. In. Oh, um, yeah. Sorry, <laughs> I think right, going going front to back as of um, Firmino, Mane, and Oxley Chamberlain, and then I can't be bothered with Milner. Um, thought he was no use to us in the home game at all. Um, and, and, and not his fault. Enough for one to try, and it's just they weren't interested in engaging in the midfield. Um, and he, he's not particularly quick or, or dynamic to, to nip around them and that. So I'd go... Him and Rooney um, chasing each other with the <laughs> No, that's great. <laughs> I'd go Chan, Wijnaldum, Lallana as the three. Um, Oxley Chamberlain further forward. And then back four. I, I don't think I'd go Matip. I, don't think I, I, I generally now am of the opinion that Matip is the weakest of the four. Um, he's the one that I, I least want to see. If Liverpool have had a cup final on the weekend, he's the one I least want to see. Generally, um, so I think I'm gonna go. I think I'm gonna go Van Dyke and Clavan. You know, Clavan's been sound for a couple of months. They both want to play left sided centre half. Uh, Van Dyke can do one at right. I, I, I don't think it's that important. There's not gonna be anyone really anywhere near him with the football for most of it, is there? I wouldn't think. I, I, again, I don't mean that in a patronising way. Just true. No one's gonna be like getting the ball in and around him and trying to turn him one way and then the other. They're gonna be pumping balls into the box at best, and I think you can do that whether you're on the left or on the right. So I'm happy for them to play there. Um, I would go Gomez instead of Alexander Arnold just for a, a, a bit of extra height and although he's been caught slacking on the back post a few times I still think he's generally a better defender Is Petty going to be there do you reckon? Petty, Petty is going to be there every game now um, Mo? Um, I feel like I'm copying now because Dan's team is very almost identical to mine the only change I would make is I would play Trent not just because of the derby factor but because I think that Sam is going to play Balassi and from what I've seen this season in terms of up against an actual tricky in-and-out kind of mm. winger, I think Trent probably just has the edge over Joe. 
I need, I need to push him back more as well. Yeah, he will push him back more as well, which will disrupt their game plans to what it is. Okay. But, yeah. Just right. one, one last thing on the Daruni Milner thing. It was like Chariot to Fire. <laughs> Honestly, God. <laughs> no, it was unbelievable. <laughs> I loved it. Um, all right, then. Prediction, Mo? Uh 2 0 Liverpool. Andy? 3 uh, 1 the Reds. 2 0 to Liverpool. Excellent stuff indeed to Liverpool this weekend. They're the sailing away to come up against the School of Science at Anfield. Uh, Liverpool there uh, expecting to be absolutely demonstrated a footballing lesson from the educated Blues, from the Mersey Millionaires, from our neighbours. Uh, fair play to them. I can't wait to learn all the lessons that they've got to teach us about the way you play the game. They're artists, you know. Sports Social Podcast Network.